You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is taken from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with him whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right, well... One of John Lennon's most famous, memorable songs is the song, Imagine. And, you know, if you're familiar with this song, it's casting the vision for this unified, uh, peaceful humanity. And, And it goes something like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky, imagine all the people living for today. And it goes on to say, you know, like, imagine there's no countries. Uh, It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. And then it says, you know, you, you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday that you'll join us and the world will be as one. What a heartwarming thought but think about the terms that he's presenting here his vision of peace on earth was based explicitly on a heavenless void sky no heaven no supernatural no faith 
No God, just simply people left to themselves, eventually figuring this thing out and fixing things. And what he envisions in this song, what he's articulating in this song is what's called secular humanism. And it's a very widely held idea today that we as people are capable of being what we need to be and doing what we need to do without God. That we can realize our full potential and, and, and fix this broken human experience on our own. And so as we come to the close of a year like 2020, I want us to imagine. Let's take his word serious. Let's begin to imagine a heavenless void sky. How is this secular humanist experiment working for us? How are we doing at fixing this thing on our own? See, Lenin thought he was revolutionary. But the songs of Advent, these four songs that, of Christmas that we've been focusing on, give us a vision of something far more revolutionary than, than imagined could ever be. You see, the songs of Advent are for, are for those who are ready to revolt against hopelessness, those who refuse to live in a world with a heavenless sky. See, Advent is a movement of people that are simply fed up with the status quo of division and fear and manipulation and sin and death. Advent is for those who say no to staking our lives and our future on a humanity that only seems to regress on its own, that only seems to break this thing further. Who desperately look up to the sky, watching and waiting for heaven to break through. And that's where Luke is, is getting us to look today, to look to the sky, watching and waiting for heaven to break through. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to look at this passage under three headings, this very familiar passage, by the way, under three headings. We're going to look at breaking into history, breaking open the sky, and breaking out in song. Let's look first at breaking into history. Now, Luke is setting the stage for us, and he sets the stage for this announcement of Jesus Christ and the scope of his healing reign in the world by telling us the readers about the historic context. It doesn't begin like a typical myth would begin, like once upon a time or, you know, in a land far, far away. No, the birth narrative begins like this. Verse one, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Ever heard of him? Yeah, he's a figure from history that all the world should be registered. And so this reminds us that there is no divide between quote-unquote secular history and spiritual history. It's simply history. It's God's story. This is the creator of time and space writing himself into his own story in order to redeem and to renew it. Tim Keller put it this way. God looked into our world, the world that he made, and he saw us destroying ourselves and the world by turning away from him. It filled his heart with pain. He loved us. He saw us struggling to free ourselves from the traps and misery we created for ourselves. And he wrote himself in. Jesus Christ, the God-man, born in a manger, born to die on a cross for us. Behold who Jesus is, how he loves you and how he came to put the world right. See, this is not a God 
who is simply working alongside history, sort of nudging it along or sending, like I'm reminded my kids are reading through the Hunger Games, like sending little gifts into the game to kind of keep us going. No, this is a God who's personally breaking through into history for you and for me. But as we see here, when he breaks through, it's in a way that none of us could ever imagine. See, we're told here in Luke that there was a king over all of the world, or simply the known world, that was dominated by a superpower of the time, the Roman Empire. And there was this leader named Augustus, and this was a ruler who considered himself to be the son of God. And so history tells us that when Julius Caesar was assassinated on the Ides of March, 44 BC, uh, that there was a comet that appeared in the sky that same year. And so his adopted son, Octavius, looked into the sky and said, look, there's Julius Caesar ascending back to heaven. That shows that he was truly a god. And so Octavius changed his name to Caesar Augustus and proclaimed himself to be the son of God. And this king was busy expanding his territory and, you know, controlling his subjects like rulers do. All the while, Luke tells us that another king is now appearing, and he's rising up, but now in, in a no-name village on the very edges of the empire where no one ever would expect it. But the interesting thing is, is that he's not appearing in pomp and in power, but in vulnerability and humility. And so as Caesar is you know, assessing and expanding his vast territory, it's contrasted here with a statement uh, about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're told that there was no place for them in the inn. Now think about this contrast that Luke is showing us here. One king is taking over the world. This other king can't even get a room. And what this highlights from the very beginning is that the way that Jesus will rule and reign is just gonna be very different. It's different than anything we would ever expect. This king, Jesus, is exalted through rejection, and he conquers through suffering. Now, it's really interesting that Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem. They don't just happen to be in Bethlehem. They're in Bethlehem because of Caesar's decree. And which, what, what this reveals is that the moment, the very moment that the emperor is flexing his control, thinking he's in charge, look at all my subjects that are under my control. He is unknowingly serving God's purposes in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So think about this. Caesar makes a decree, and yet our God is sovereign. And what that tells us is that we do not need to fear who is in control, who rules and reigns from Rome, or who rules and reigns from the Oval Office or the Supreme Court, because our God is sovereign. And he's fulfilling his purposes one way or another. Verse 6 and 7, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this, this is, uh, as I'm reading through this story, there's a lot of time and space given to the nativity and the sort of the birth narrative of Jesus, but at the same time, there is very little told about the scene. She went into labor, she gave birth, bada bing, bada boom. And I believe it's because the details about how Jesus was born are actually less significant than the details about why Jesus was born. 
And that explains Luke's super fast cut to the next scene with the shepherds, which leads us to our second point, breaking open the sky, breaking open the sky. Now we're familiar with the story, but let's, let's begin to imagine it again and afresh. As the shepherds watch over their sheep on the outskirts of town, they're lying under a quiet sky. And Luke says in verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And so there's this sense of sudden shock just out of the blue. There's this dark night and then an unexpected flash of glorious light breaks through into their experience and breaks through into the world. It's really interesting if if you've seen any of the ways that the artists throughout the years have depicted this scene. It's nothing like what we read of here in scripture. I was was doing a little bit of research and one of the paintings I saw was of this like pale, soft, frail, timid looking ballerina angel who's literally like pirouetting into the scene, just twirling onto the scene where the the shepherds are. And and then others where, where the angel is just like arms out, very, very just welcoming and floating down. Hello, I'm here to greet you. But this is nothing but a fierce and frightening appearance. And a, a sudden and violent breaking open of the sky. This is, it's shocking. They're trembling. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet prays in Isaiah 64, if only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations would tremble at your presence. This is what happens when God appears. This is what happens when heaven breaks in. And this is what's happening here. It's being fulfilled. Heaven is breaking into this world. Now, isn't it interesting that we talk a lot, an awful lot about desiring an experience of breakthrough in our lives. I'm just, I just want a breakthrough in my life. But I think sometimes we overlook what that actually means. How unexpected and jolting and even violent this can be. I think for a lot of us, we want the breakthrough results, but with a calm, non-intrusive appearance of heaven. But it doesn't work that way. That's not how heaven works. It's it, that breakthrough doesn't come on our timetable. It doesn't come how we expect. It, it, it doesn't align with our comfort level, our comfort level levels, and, and, and it's alarming and it's painful. There's, there's no pirouetting heaven here. When God breaks in, he breaks in in the best way. Verse 10 and 11, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now notice, the angel doesn't say, look at all this light and glory. Pay attention to this. Do you ever seen something like this? There's a lot of light. There's a lot of glory. The, the attention is not on the light and glory. Yes, he, he radiates with all of heaven's light. That's, he can't help it. That's what happens when someone is in the presence of, of, of God's glory. Think about Moses in the Old Testament. As he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing. The angel can't help but glow. He's been in the presence of God. But notice what he says. He says, behold, I bring you good news. In other words, fixate on the power of what I'm announcing to you. 
Later on in the New Testament, we read in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. And this word here, power, in the original language is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And so here's the question. What tears open the sky with the dynamite power and causes heaven to powerfully break into our world? It's the gospel being announced. It's the good news. And you know what that means for us? It means that there are no powerless Christians when they herald such a powerful gospel. And so we're told it's good news. Now, the word here for good news is where we also get the word evangelize. And in the ancient world, it was the announcement that there was a new king that had taken the throne. And so messengers would be sent throughout the land declaring this good news. There is a new king in charge. And so this angel or this messenger comes with that same announcement. There's a, there's a new king, a savior king, a king that, as, as we read on in Luke, we, we, we see leads in humility and triumphs through suffering, who would not only usher in a new kingdom and a new way, but would bring forgiveness for sin and liberation and freedom from sin's enslaving power through his death and his resurrection. This is good news. And it's also for all people. And this is really highlighting the scope of this gospel. The good news first comes not to the rich, not to the noble, not to the influential, not to the good, neat, church-going people or religious leaders of the powerful. The good news first comes to this working class, if not less, socially rejected, you know, unimportant group of shepherds. Why? Why the shepherds? Why, why are they the first to get this announcement? As I read through this story, every single Christmas season, this always trips me up, and I'm always thinking, why the shepherds first? Well, there could be a number of answers to that question, but I think maybe perhaps one of the reasons is that only shepherds, only socially rejected people on the outskirts of society would be willing to receive a message of a king in a manger. Who else would believe a message like this? See, history tells us that the Jews considered the shepherds to be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean because of their religious rites. Um, the courts of law considered the shepherds' testimony to be unreliable. Their testimony wouldn't hold up in the court of law. Um, they were the least likely, the least likely to be chosen for this honor. And yet, Heaven pulls out all the stops. This isn't just like, hey, shepherds, let me tell you about something. Heaven pulls out all the stops to get this announcement to them. And it's showing us just how important it is that this gospel get to all the people, to all the people. And this truly is good news of great joy for all people. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter what you've seen, what you've experienced, your sin, your baggage, your feeling of enslavement, your habits, this news is for you. Heaven has broken open the sky for you. And that leads us to our third and final point, breaking out in song. 
breaking out in song. Now, as if this scene wasn't abrupt enough, I mean, it's pretty abrupt already, with a single angel appearing in glory. We're told this in verse 13. And suddenly, okay, there's that sudden language again. Suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. So just pff, heavenly hosts, a multitude. Now, as we've mentioned throughout this Advent season, some news is just too good to simply say. It has to be sung. And in all of their might and heavenly dignity, these are, these are heavenly hosts. These are the armies of heaven. Even a company of angels can't help but break out in singing. And they sing. They, they pronounce this good news through song. But again, I'm reading through this. I'm wondering why. Why, why the angels? Why are the angels so thrilled you know, that this news is being announced. Why, why are the angels the ones singing with so much joy? It's not their sins that need to be forgiven. It's not their brokenness that's being healed. It's not them who need healing. It's us. So why are they so excited? Why are they breaking out in song? Well, I can only imagine that it had to do with the fact that for so long they had been put in charge of guarding the way back into paradise, the, the existence and the humanity and, and, and living that we long for most. And as we read in, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned against God, we're told that they were driven out of paradise because that's the consequence. Sin separates us from God and sin separates us from others. Sin divides. And at the closing scene of Genesis 3, we read that God placed cherubim, angels, with a flaming sword to guard the way back in so that humanity wouldn't be able to get back in. But now, after so long, after so many hopeless years of these angels watching humanity fail, to recreate paradise and fail at their secular humanist tendencies and fail to find their way back into paradise on their own, the orders had suddenly shifted. The orders had suddenly changed. They were no longer guarding the way back. They were now proclaiming the way back. And that entrance, the way back into paradise, was open again. It had been open to humanity to come and dwell with God in unity together. And that way, Luke tells us, was wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. The one who would conquer the sin that divides and, and usher us back into the presence of God. And, and this is what, what they sing in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Here's that vision of peace. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so through the birth of Jesus, God's glory, his invisible, weighty majesty became visible. In other words, the light of heaven had finally reached, or think about a light, or you know, the light of stars in other galaxies, light years away, that light finally traveling and reaching us. The glory from on high was now shining on those of us in darkness. And these, these angels essentially call us to do the same thing, to imagine. Imagine all the people living life in peace. But this is a, a way better vision 
This is a vision of true peace, of lasting peace, of heavenly peace, a peace that first and foremost makes us right again with the God that we have sinned against and rebelled against. A peace that unifies us together and a peace within that is powerful enough to overcome our greatest fears and overwhelm. A peace on earth that is found among those who find favor with God. Those through faith according to God's grace. And so what do the shepherds do? How do they respond to this heavenly song? We're told in verse 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They're told, hey, go check it out. What do they do? They go check it out. And it's as if they sprint to get there. Now, I'll never forget the the text message I got in the middle of the night, and it simply said, come right now. Now, if you know me, I will disregard any and every text message and phone call that comes at night. But this was a little bit different. Michelle was in the hospital, and we were awaiting the arrival of our daughter. And she wasn't supposed to go into labor that soon. She was supposed to go into labor the very next day, but you know, these sort of things have a mind of their own. And because we were living in a city with excellent public transportation, we didn't have a car. And unfortunately, all the buses and all the trains were shut down that late at night, and the hospital was about a 45-minute walk from our flat. And so I just started booking it through the streets. I just started running. I had no plan, no specific plan on how I was going to get there. I just knew I needed to get there as fast as possible. About halfway there, I see a cab off in the distance. I run out into the middle of the road. I start waving my arms like a crazy person. I'm surprised he stopped. He stops. He pulls over. I said, I need you to get me to the hospital as fast as possible. He says, hop in. He whips me there. He doesn't charge me. Thanks again, buddy. And I'm running around the hospital. I'm running up like escalators that have stopped, which like if you've run, ever run up an escalator that's stopped, the, the timing of the steps, the size of the steps a little bit different. So I'm like hitting my shins in the dark, trying to get up. It's quiet. It's strange. It's eerie. I finally figure out which room Michelle is in. And I barge into the room. I open the door just in time to see the nurse placing hope on Michelle's chest. I like just missed it. And the nurse, I'll never forget the scene. I walk in the door. The nurse turns to me. She extends the little creepy umbilical cord scissor things. And she asks, are you the father? Do you you want to do the honors? And you can ask Michelle, I was so disoriented by being woken up in the middle of the night and running for my life and like running through my, the first thing that came out of my mouth was this. Wait, is that ours? (laughs) As if the child connected with the umbilical cord could have, they could have done a little switcheroo there. I was so disoriented but I got there. I got there. That's all that matters. And the point of that is this, that there are invitations where we say, you know what? I'll get around to it. And let's be honest. There's a lot in this world that just isn't urgent. And there's a lot in this world that you can just be like, I'll get around to it. And then there are those come right now invitations where you just don't delay, where You hold nothing back, and you respond, and you get yourself there. And and Jesus, what we're told here is Jesus, not just a Savior, but your Savior is born. He's come into the world, and he's coming again for his people. 
And this is not news that you just get around to sometime soon. This is not news that you shrug off. This is not news that you ignore. This is news that causes you to drop everything in your life and make a mad dash toward new life that's found in him. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. You've got to respond. You have to respond. And so how do we respond to this song? There are three very simple instructions that we find here. The first is we got to come and see. we got to come and see for ourselves. The shepherds make haste. Make haste. Secondly, we retell this good news. It says that when the shepherds arrive, they told them all that had been revealed to them. What is our task as God's people this Christmas? It's to retell all that has been revealed to us. This message isn't just to warm our hearts this Christmas. This message is to equip you and mobilize you to get the greatest news ever told into a world that desperately needs it. And finally, we return glorifying and praising God. We join the song. We join in on the singing. Warrior angels sing. Shepherds sang. What's your excuse? Let's pray. God, we thank you for...